we've been uh, we've been talking about uh, the reality of the of the kingdom in our life, the kingdom of God that Jesus preached, the kingdom of God that's been uh, demonstrated in the Book of Acts, the kingdom of God that's further taught in the epistles, the kingdom of God that will one day take over, as told in the Book of Revelation. We understand Jesus uh, brought something new to the world and uh, changed the changed the world forever, of course. Uh, but when Jesus came, he showed up an entirely new way of relating to God, an entire new way of living. And he talked about two uh, different phases of the kingdom of God. He talked about this phase that we're in right now, where the kingdom of God is in us. It's around us. It's moving through us. And he says there will be a kingdom to come which is when he comes back and he rules the earth, there's a kingdom yet to come. We look forward to that day, but we also understand that the kingdom is here right now. It's in us. It's around us. So wherever you go, Jesus told his disciples, when you go to a village, tell them the kingdom of God has come near to them. And, and, and the demonstration of the kingdom was that demons left, was that sick people were healed, was that the gospel was preached. And uh, this is the demonstration of the kingdom today as well. So we've been talking about that. We've been kind of focusing on the expanding of that, how to, how to get out of your comfort, how to get out of your boundaries and expand the kingdom of God and, and let it into the areas all around you. But today I want to talk about a different element because we are relearning how to live. We're relearning what life is meant to be and what it's meant to be like and, and, and how to operate and, and uh, how we're supposed to think. I mean, if you haven't noticed, uh, making Jesus the Lord of your life was not the most convenient thing you ever did. Uh, it certainly did not land you in the, the level of hobby, you know. I've got something new to do on the weekend. That's not what happened. When you got born again, one of the first things you did was say, Jesus, your Lord. You realize before you said, Jesus, your Lord, who was, boss, who was the boss of your life? Well, you were. And when you make yourself the boss of your life, the Bible says you're actually walking a course that's set out by Satan himself, which is not a good thing, obviously. We think we're running the show, but he says you're actually on a course that, that, that belongs to darkness. You're on a course that's not going to end in a good place. So when we say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, do, you, do any of us think that that meant that he'll be the Lord of, of half an hour every day that you give to him? Do we think that, he, that he'll be the Lord of our weekends? When I say he's the Lord of my life, you think about what happened in the Gospels when they decided to follow Jesus. They couldn't follow Jesus and keep doing what they were doing before. So the disciples left their boats. Matthew left his tax collecting booth. Nathaniel left his tree. They all left and followed Jesus. Two of, the, two of the disciples of John left John to follow Jesus. And so what you see here is that, is that there is a need. Not just, When you follow Jesus, it's impossible for you to say, you're the Lord of my life and your life to remain pretty much the same. If your life is pretty much the same, you got to ask yourself, am I really following Jesus? I mean, there's some elements that are familiar. I got the same job. But the reason I go to the job what I do when I'm there, and, and my purpose for being there to start with, my, my whole heart has changed. You know, the Bible talks about when you go do your job, you don't do it 
with, uh, externally to please people. But you think, how else would you do your job? Before you knew Jesus, of course you'd do it just to please people. Just, of course you'd do just your job uh, just to, to make sure you were doing what you needed to do. You, how else would you do it? But he says now, when you go to your work, you're doing it as under the Lord who sees everything. You know, I certainly don't think Steve Jobs was a mighty man of God. Certainly not. I, I, I think his life in many ways was a sad life. If you've read his, his biography, uh, the one by Walter Isaacson, you, you know, I didn't put that book down and go, praise God, what a great man. I, I put that book down and felt sad about a life that he accomplished a lot, put out some cool products. I'm using one today. But ultimately, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Now, I don't know where the guy is. I don't know what he said on his deathbed. But honestly, what a waste. Because the Bible says if you do all these things and yet without love, it profits you nothing. It seemed like a very sad life to me. Some people read it and are inspired, and I'm glad you're inspired. But when I read it, I was sad. Because I realized there's a lot bigger things than making money. There's a lot bigger things than making a great product. But one thing he did that I admired was he said his father taught him at a young age, his adopted father, that when you, when you make something, even the parts that no one sees, he taught him to paint the inside of things that no one would ever see. He said, you, you, you make beautiful this stuff that no one will ever see because you'll know it's there. So he put that into the products that they did. They said, you know, when they engineered stuff, stuff that no one was ever going to open this up and look at the inside. He says, I want it to be beautiful on the inside. He said, if it's going to be on the outside, we want it to be on the inside. We're going to do it right all the way through. And to me, that reflected the kind of attitude that we're supposed to have according to the Bible, which he says, don't do it merely externally for, for what people see, but do it as unto the Lord because he sees everything and will repay. And he says, he sees what you do in secret, he'll repay you. And so when we do things, it doesn't matter whether your boss will ever find out what you do. You do it as under the Lord because God sees it. So this has changed everything. It's changed. Our reason for existence is different now. The Bible says that he died for all, that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. And, and there's a good thing behind that because as we said before, you don't have to live for yourselves. Orphans have to care for number one. The orphans, I mean, we don't have, we, we don't see orphans like this in Canada now because we've got, you know, you've got people that take care of them. And I know the system's not perfect, but you can imagine in a day and age where if you were an orphan, there was no government net, there were no foster, there was no foster system, there's no adoptive system. You can imagine if you were just an orphan and you were looking out for yourself, you have no, you had no choice but to look out for number one because who else is going to do it? Before we knew Jesus, that was our life. We were selfish. We were looking out for us. But he says, we don't have to do that anymore because there's somebody taking care of us. Now we live for him. And we got put into a family. And we got put into a body. And it's not about us anymore. And that's not even a bad thing. That's a good thing. So life has changed. And I've become familiar and, and convinced of something that if the kingdom of God is going to expand around us. It's got to first expand in us. We can't hope and pray 
that the kingdom of God will expand all around us and that the church will grow and people will be born again and all these things happen if we're not letting the kingdom of God take over in our own hearts. How can it take over around us if it didn't take over in us? This is a reality that Jesus talked about in the parable of the kingdom when he talked about the kingdom is like uh, yeast that works itself. You put a little bit in the, in the dough and pretty soon it spreads and it's, it's in the whole loaf that it, it expands, it spreads, it, it catches everything. And you can read that two ways. You can say, well, the kingdom of God, it, he also said it was like a mustard seed that starts small and then gets big. And in both of those parables, You've got two applications. You can say it starts small with a small group of people and it's meant to grow and expand and multiply until many people, many more people are brought in. And that's true. And that's a big part of it. But it also works on the inside of you as well, that it's like yeast, that if you really let it, will work itself. You may, it may start out small in you, but the kingdom of God itself will expand in you it might start as a, as a thing, you know, when you first came to Jesus and, and, and you heard this message or you first came to church and you, you encountered people who believed in Jesus, it might start small in you, but it's meant to expand. And I found when you, let, when you really let God into your life, you really let Jesus rule, whatever area you let him into, if, if, if you're open, if your heart's open and you're, you're able to, to receive, what will happen is it starts out in certain areas and it spreads to areas you think are unconnected, disconnected. You don't think they have anything to do with one another. That pretty soon your whole life is revolving around him. Now your friends may think that's a cult-like thing. <laughs> but Jesus showed us that that was the way to live. We can't say we follow Jesus if we don't do what he did. Pray like he prayed, walk like he walked, talk like he talked. So here in Romans chapter 12, I want you to get a picture of the kingdom of God as it's meant to be on the inside of you and, and externally. Because, you know, it, it's, uh, I get excited personally. I get real excited when we talk about hitting the streets with the gospel. I get real excited when unbelievers hear for the first time. I get real excited when you see miracles in a grocery store. You see miracles in the mall. I, I get excited about that stuff. That, that gets me going. That pumps me up. But if all you're doing is focusing on the, the edges expanding and you haven't also focused on what's happening here within the, the body that you already have and the family that you already have, then you bring more people into a broken system and, and, and the system just remains broken. So what you need to do is you need to let God into every area. Sometimes, uh, you know, you got a guy like Winston Churchill who was a wonderful wartime prime minister, probably the best that, that Britain's had in generations. Uh, but he really faltered in peacetime. It wasn't his thing. So, I mean, when he's on, when they're expanding, when they're fighting on the borders, when they're, they're keeping the Germans out and eventually going into Germany and, you know, he's getting the nation motivated and he's, he's saying, we'll never surrender, we'll fight them on the hills, we'll fight, you know, all of this, he is, he's, he's just at the, the prime of who he is. But when he was prime minister and they were at peace, it just didn't seem like he was in his element. 
just really, you know, and he was, he was knocked out of office and somebody else came in. And uh, that's not to say he, he wasn't a good prime minister, but it's just to say he was a man for a certain type of season. He was a certain type of man that was needed at a certain time. Probably uh, the man that was most needed in Europe in World War II, he was the guy. And yet, when it came to peacetime, it just wasn't his thing. And so we have to know that there are times there are some of us that get so excited about outreach, which is awesome. And I, I think more of us need to be excited about outreach. We get pumped up about outreach and because we can go out, we can do these things. But you also got to realize that God's working on the inside too. And he's working on the family. And he's working on the church. And, uh, you know, you can just, you know, you, I've, got, I've got friends that are, that are working on the fringes. They're, they're in missions. They're working in the inner cities. They're, they're expanding the kingdom in those areas. And sometimes they're frustrated when they come back because, you know, not everybody's on the same page as them or not everybody's thinking the same way. But you've got to realize God wants to work spreading the kingdom, but he also wants to work spreading the kingdom on the inside of us and enriching it and enlarging us. And so here's what it looks like. In Romans chapter 12, I think there's a beautiful picture painted of how we worship God practically. We talked about this probably a year and a half, two years ago, about how life is worship. Uh, and that's something, it's not a new concept, it's not, nothing that's rare. But you know that, that in our modern culture, often when we say worship, people think music real quick, you know? When we say, let's worship, you know, we're looking for the person to come up to the piano or play the, the soft, warm pads on the keyboard so everybody can get into the presence of God. But in reality, uh, that's a modern concept. Uh, we do worship through music. Absolutely, I worship through singing. We find out that that's in heaven. I think if it's in heaven, it's probably a pretty standard thing. I think if they're worshiping God through singing in heaven... There's, there's probably no way around doing it here. That's, that's pretty important. Yet we find out worship is not just about lifting your hands and singing songs. There is, there is practical worship. This is just a term I'm coming up with to, to try to explain it, but I, I like to think of it as practical worship, which is how do I worship God in my relationships? How do I worship God at my job? How do I worship God with my home? You know, God gave, me a, God gave you a house or some, something that you're keeping over your head so the snow doesn't come in. Whatever you call it, God gave it to you. And how, how are you worshiping God with that place? How are you worshiping God with your family? And Romans 12, I think, paints a wonderful picture because Romans 11 has been talking about God's great mercy. His mercy to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. The Apostle Paul paints a picture and says, you know, you guys think that you earned it. You guys think that you uh, had this coming. But God had showed great mercy to all of you. And he talked about the great mercy that he showed us Gentiles and the great mercy that he was showing the Jews. And in Romans chapter 12, he starts out continuing that thought. It's not a new thought. It's a continuation of what he had just been talking about. Romans 12 says, therefore... Because of the great mercy that God has shown you, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So in light of his mercy, as a response, a reaction to the mercy of God, how do I react to the mercy of God? You think about it. Somebody gives you, I mean, if you're about to get thrown out 
on your, on your rear end, thrown out of your house, thrown out of your apartment, whatever, and you're going to be homeless and somebody gives you a home, I'm not just saying lets you live somewhere, but actually buys you a home, how would you react to that kind of mercy? And that is such a small fraction of the mercy that's been shown us. Wouldn't it be weird if somebody gave you a car, gave you a house, and you barely, it barely registered in your life? You just kind of said, oh, thanks, and moved on. Wouldn't that be odd? There would be a proper response to that mercy. Well, and not just like, I, I would hope it's not just like, well, I should say thank you. I mean, there would be genuine gratitude, right? What we're talking about here is God's not saying, here's what you owe me, pay the bill. Because in reality, you could never pay the bill. So you can't put it on that statement, this is what I owe the Lord, I'm going to try my best to repay, because he couldn't. So he's not the bill collector here. He showed mercy without charge, he showed it freely, and yet how do I react to that great mercy? How am I supposed to react to that amazing grace? How do I react to all that you've done for me? He says, in light, in, in reaction to the mercy of God, present your bodies, your life, as a living and holy sacrifice. Why is he talking about a living sacrifice? Because in the old covenant, the sacrifice would be something you killed. You killed an animal. You put it on the altar. But here, he says, I want your every moment. I want your every day as my sacrifice. I want your every minute of your life, you give that to me. I want you to lay yourself on the altar of sacrifice, and you're not going to die. You're just going to be a, a living, continual sacrifice. Now, that's not a bad thing. We hear sacrifice, and we think pain and loss. But this is talking about, this is your way to worship me. Make every breath, every moment, make it worship to me. So we got to rethink how we worship. Because if the only way we know how to worship is to put on soft music and start singing and lifting our hands, we only know a little bit of part of worship, only a small fraction of worship. we got to rethink what worship looks like. In, in everyday life? What happens when you go to your job? What happens when you're talking with your coworkers? What happens when you come home to your family? How are you worshiping God in those situations? Because if I said, right, you know, you're, in a, you're, you're at home teaching your kids something. You're, you're, you're at work uh, interacting with coworkers. And I, if I were to say, right now, worship God, would you have to stop? And turn on some music and go, ah, sorry, don't, don't be bothered by me. I worship you, almighty God. Hey, shh, I'll be done in a minute. But he said to worship God. And this is, you know. No, there's a way to worship him in everything. In everything we do, worshiping God. He says, make your life, put your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And it says this, it, that holy sacrifice will be acceptable to God. You say, well, how could it possibly be pleasing to God? Because of the blood of Jesus. Your sacrifice, he finds pleasure in. What a wonderful thing to know that you make God happy. That you please God. It seems like it would be impossible to please God. Because he's perfect. And in the Old Testament, all their attempts to please God failed without faith. There were those like Abraham 
There were those like Noah. There were those like uh, David, who it says because of their faith, they pleased God. Not because of what they did, but because of their faith, which led them to do what they did. And it says this, it's a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And it says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What a huge thought. Do you know what? There are two words here, conformed and transformed. And for a lot of us, they sound like the same word, right? Just a different way to say the same thing. But they're two very different words. Conformed is externally, it's like putting on a disguise. To conform to something is like when you show up at school and you're unique and you're your own person, but you show up in school and, and they say, we wear pink on Wednesdays. And so now you've become, you like them and you got you to gotta blend in with them. You got to do what they do and you got to wear what everybody else is wearing. You're conforming to them. You talk like they talk. You may notice that my mom still has a Texas accent, right? <laughs> Never goes away. And it's lovely. But I've seen Canadians, I've seen Texans come up here and keep their accent. But I've seen Canadians go down to Texas for three weeks and come back talking a little bit like this and just a little bit slower, a little bit drawn out. It's one of those accents that's a little bit more infectious for some reason. It's contagious. So you go there and you, you start conforming. Conforming is external mostly, but it, I mean, it starts from the outside, works its way in. Conforming is, is you, it's not really who you are, but you're fitting in somewhere. You're allowing them to mold you somehow. You're allowing yourself to be molded by the world. He says, don't be conformed. Don't try to fit in. Don't try to be like everybody else. Instead, be transformed. Now, transformed, that word comes from the same word we, we get the word metamorphosis from. So when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, that's a transformation. That caterpillar is not acting like a butterfly. I mean, wouldn't it be funny if a caterpillar tried to be more butterfly-like, <laughs> launching itself off ledges, you know, trying to flap its pudge around? Could a caterpillar convince any of you that it was a butterfly before it went into the cocoon? If, if, even if you taped wings to it, wouldn't do the trick, would it? It had to be transformed into something new. It took metamorphosis. Well, in the same way, while you can be conformed by externally saying, I'll act more like everybody else, I'll do what they do, I'll talk like they talk, only God can create true transformation, which means you are absolutely turned into a different person. Now, here's the interesting thing. It doesn't say, don't be conformed, but transform yourself. It says, be transformed, which means there's something else that's working on me and in me that's not of me. God is doing this. But you, I mean, there's a reason he has to command you to be transformed. If it was involuntary, that scripture wouldn't be necessary. If it was just going to happen no matter what. Now, your spirit was made brand new the moment you got born again, right? 
When you receive Jesus, something was new. You're a new, the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That happened when you got born again. Praise God. You're new. You're different. But there is something outside of just the renewal of spirit. There's something that changes because no matter, when your spirit becomes new, you didn't, you didn't all of a sudden have a different accent. You didn't have a different vocabulary. You didn't all of a sudden have a PhD in something. You had the same brain you've always had. And the same body you always had. I mean, I, I know we, a lot of us wish that we could just say a prayer and our body would be new, you know? And we got, we got the six pack and we've got, um, you know, just, just grow a few inches. I mean, this would be wonderful. I'd be willing to buy a new wardrobe for that. That's cool. <laughs> but it didn't happen. What happened was your spirit was new. But watch what, how the transformation takes place. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you notice? Be transformed. He had to tell you to be transformed, which means it's not just going to happen to you. You have to let this happen to you. And the way you do that is to let your mind be renewed. Well, how do we renew our minds? Well, the scripture says we renew our minds by the washing of the water, by the word, right? That's one of the ways. The word of God renews our minds. When I get the Bible out, it shows me a way to think that I didn't think before. It shows me a new worldview, new paradigms, new, new thoughts, new, new ways of looking at the world, new ways of looking at God. When you came to Jesus, you know how messed up our views of God were? I mean, you might not admit it, but nobody comes to Jesus. Nobody comes to God and perfectly understands God. That's something that happens as you get to know him. And your view of God changes. Your view of people changes. Your view of the world changes. The view of yourself changes. It's transforming you. It's changing you. Did you know that's supposed to happen for the rest of your life? If you've stopped being transformed, there's a problem. If you see everything the way you saw it a year ago, there's a problem. Now, I'm not saying to be flaky and inconsistent. You know, where you, because the Bible also talks about those that are acting like babies, which are tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine. So it talks about people that every time a new fad comes out, every time a new teaching comes out, they're a different person. I don't want you to be flaky, but there should be growth. If everything's the same as it was two years ago, have you stopped growing? Consistency in Christ doesn't look like a straight line. Consistency in Christ looks like an angle, always pressing forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Always up. That's consistency in Christ. It's not a plateau. It's continually up the mountain, becoming more and more like Jesus until you see him face to face, and in an instant you will be like him, for you will see him as he is. So here it says, Be transformed. Be totally changed. Don't be conformed to this world. So here is, this scripture defines our new life. Because there are forces in the world which are pressing on us to change us. To alter us. To make us conform. 
You don't realize it all the time, but there are forces all around you trying to make you conform to fit the mold. And people are very uncomfortable when you don't fit into one of the molds that they, they're familiar with. When you're outside of that, you're a threat. The world wants you to fit into their idea of what a person should be. They want you to fit. We think, that, you know, to be honest, we all feel like that. When somebody comes along that totally blows your idea of what a person should be, most of the time we're not just like, what a cool person. Most of the time we're kind of threatened by that. I don't get you. If I don't get you, I don't want to be around you. You know, we want to know, we want to understand. I want to kind of be able to fit you into a box somewhere. And the world is constantly pushing on you from the outside to conform you to something. And it's not what God created you to be. You feel those pressures everywhere you go. You feel them at family reunions. You feel them at work. You feel them when you watch television. You feel them all these things. That somebody is conforming you, is trying to change you. Instead of letting that happen, let God transform you from the inside. And the way to do that is to let your mind be renewed. In other words, you're going to totally think differently than you used to think. You're going to be a different you're going to think differently. You're going to react differently to things. Your worldview is going to change. It will be uncomfortable. I don't like when my worldview changes because it's a, it's a terrible game of dominoes, you know? I, I, I've never been able to, you know, you ever play Jenga? Really? Was nobody alive in the 80s? It's just a couple of people. You take a block from the bottom and you put it on top. You take a block from the middle and you put it on top. Hey, wibbles and wobbles, but it just won't stop. Yeah, no? no? <laughs> Jenga, j j j Jenga. All right, for those of you that don't know, Jenga was this stacking, you, you put blocks, and you continually had to take a block from somewhere beneath, and you had to put it on top. And, and the first person to, to take the wrong block off, and it started to shake, and it fell, that you lost, right? So the game was, you had to keep removing blocks and putting them, unstacking them and stacking them, and and, and you know, there's, there's always these foundational pieces. If you, if you get the wrong one, that's holding the whole system up. And you take that out and everything falls down. And you ever notice that there are moments in life where you encounter God changing how you view something? And you go, uh-oh. I got a whole stack built on that. I've got years of research built on that thought. Like a scientist who had a wrong hypothesis to start with, and he built on that hypothesis. Years down the road, he finds out the whole, hypo- the whole, the whole uh, uh, concept that he based everything else on was flawed. Well, that messes everything up. And there are times in life where you say, I-, I think I'm wrong on this, but I'd rather not find out. Be easier just for me not to know. My brother and my, my sister and brother-in-law said, you know, you got to watch that documentary about SeaWorld, that Blackfish documentary. You know, and I said, I don't want to see it because I don't want to, I, I like SeaWorld and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to see it and not be comfortable with SeaWorld now. <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather not know. Some, you know, somebody comes along with a new health study that says my favorite food is terribly unhealthy. Don't tell me, I don't want to know. You ever know this? You ever sat in a service and somebody starts preaching and go, no, stop. Don't tell me that. I built so much on that. If that changes, that affects this, which affects this. But let God do it. 
if you trust the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Trust the Holy Spirit with your life. Trust Him as the architect. The, the, trust God as your great creator that created you and molds you. And if He says, now it's time to change something, He knows and He's able to handle the fallout. Let Him do what He does. I found that there's moments where there's scriptures you've heard for, you know, you've heard the same thing preached over and over, and there's one day where it hits you in a different way than it ever hit you before. And you might think it's because it was a better preacher, but I think most of the time what happens is that the Holy Spirit says, now I'm going to use this in you to, to do something in you I've never done before. You're ready for a new stage of growth. And with every stage of growth, you've got to buy new clothes. With every stage of growth, you get a little clumsier at first. But it's good. It's good. You don't want your kids to remain the same size just because you don't want to buy new clothes for them. Be a lot easier, Moses, if you just stayed that size, grew a goatee, and just, you know, were three and a half feet tall for the rest of your life. <laughs> now, there are people like that, and you know, it wasn't their choice, and they're making the best of it. But for the most part, you're meant to grow and you're meant to change. That change comes from your mind being renewed. And the renewal doesn't come from just being around new friends. The renewal comes from the Word of God. Yes. And the Holy Spirit using that Word to change how you think. Yes. Change how you think about everything. I think about politics different than I used to think. I think about family different than I used to think. I think about school different than I used to think. We, we, everything we used to know is going to change yes. as you grow in the Lord. Here's what it says. When that happens, if you let yourself be transformed by letting your mind be changed by his word, then what's going to happen is you will prove what the will of God is. You'll prove out what the will of God is because you are now letting yourself be shaped by the will of God. If you let yourself be shaped by the word of God, you'll be shaped into somebody that can walk in the will of God. And here's what happens is you'll prove what the will of God is, and his will is good, his will is acceptable, and his will is perfect. Yes. There was an old teaching in the 80s that there were three different levels of the will of God. Good was good, there was acceptable, which is okay, and there was perfect, which is better than all of them. But the truth is that's not what it means. These are three distinct words that mean different things. Good means that it yields good fruits, has good effects on everybody around you. Acceptable means it's well-pleasing to God. So good, you could say, is well-pleasing to everyone else. It, it affects, it, it has good effects on everybody. Acceptable means it's, it's well-pleasing to God. It's a sacrifice he can receive. And perfect means it's not lacking anything. The will of God is perfect. The will of God is good. It's going to affect good things around you. The will of God is acceptable. It will always let you live a life where you are pleasing God. And the will of God is perfect. There's nothing that's missing in the plan. There's nothing missing in the plan. Not, not, not a missed thought, in, not missed in preparation, not missed in provision. It has everything. The will of God is perfect. You don't lack anything. This is good news. So, We've got through two verses, guys. How far do you think we can go? <laughs> to the book of Revelations. All right, anyways. Verse 3. <laughs> says this. For through the grace given to me, I say to you, 
to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. See, we're still talking about your, your thinking being changed. One of the things that changes, one of the ways we present ourselves as a worship, worshipful sacrifice to God is to not think higher of yourself than you ought to think. Here's what it says. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. For just as we are many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the reason you don't think higher of yourself than you ought to think is because now you're not an individual anymore. You're part of a body. One translation words it this way. It says, the individual members find their purpose and their meaning in the whole body, not the other way around. So you find who you are in the context of the body of Christ rather than the body of Christ finding who it is in the context of all the little members that are part of it. I figure out who I am not because I'm just an ear. I find out who I am because I'm part of a bigger body that makes sense when it's put together with other body parts. The truth is, you don't make sense on your own. If I were to cut off Tony's nose and hold it up to different types of foods and go, smell, Tony, smell. <laughs> the nose cut off from the body is of no use. Number one, it's disconnected from the head. So disconnected from the head... You can't get the signals from the brain, so you, don't, you couldn't interpret the smell even if you're working. It's disconnected from the vital organs, so it's got no blood flowing to it, no oxygen. It's disconnected from the rest of the body, so it can't get where it needs to be. It can't walk around. It can't hop around. It's just stuck. You see, the number one thing is when we disconnect from the body, we are disconnecting from the head. You might think you're disconnecting from people, but you're really disconnecting from God. When someone says, you know what, we just decided we're just going to have our, our little church at home, just the two of us. Now, having church in a home is not a bad thing with other people. You know what I mean? They did that in the early church because they were persecuted. You got a bunch of people gathering in a home, that can work. But it's just you and your spouse because you're too good for everybody else. Doesn't work. You're not having church. You're watching somebody on TV, good for you, but that's not church. We need each other. The Bible says we can no longer say, this part can't say to that part, I don't need you. Somebody says, well, I'm not being fed anymore. Well, who are you feeding? Who are you affecting? Because I found if I eat you know, a large pizza and I sit on the couch all day, I'm not hungry for supper. Because all I've done is eat and not do anything with what I ate. But if I eat some food and I get on the treadmill or I eat some food and go do hard work, I'm hungry after because I've been burning off what I ate. You go receive from the Spirit of God. You receive, and, and God speaks to you, and you receive uh, from His Word, and you're being fed, and you go out and do something with what you learned, you'll be hungry for more. It's just the way it works. He says, we are many. So we can't think higher of ourselves than we ought. When I think that I'm the point, I'm thinking too high of myself. My, I, I'm able to preach today. I'm able to walk around. I'm able to play an instrument because my, 
my, all my members of my body have figured out, well, they don't really have minds of their own, which is the good thing, but I figured out that this isn't about my hand auditioning for you to like it. This isn't about my knee showing off its skill. This is about all of the parts working together for the greater good. So it works. You see, if my hand was trying to be the star today, there'd be a lot of things I couldn't do. You know, the left hand, you know, playing on the guitar, and the left hand says, I want to strum. And it starts taking over, and you got both hands fighting, and nobody's doing the chords, and they're both fighting the strum. It sounds terrible. If my left foot says, today, I'm going to show you how fast I can, I can be. I, you, I, you haven't been letting me shine. I want to show you how, how, how fit I am and how fast I am. And I'm trying to preach with my left foot doing weird things like that. It's not functioning. Sometimes there are parts that just have to, you know, play the supporting role for the greater good. It's hard when you're a musician. You ever watched a, you ever watched like a Hillsong DVD? Anybody watch like some of their stuff? They got like six, seven guitar players. You know, that wouldn't sound good if they're all at the same level. If they're all sit playing the same thing, if they're all trying to be the star. You watch those DVDs. There's a guy, and all he's doing is every, you know, for every, every bar he's going, strumming one note, strumming one chord. There might be a guy, his part doesn't come to like three quarters through the song. Then he gets to play. And there's a reason. If you had all of them playing equally, it would sound chaotic. The more people you add, the more you support each other. There was the whole thing we learned when we first started playing. and It was like, this was the phrase, play for the song. Play for the song. You don't, you don't play for you, you play for the song. So there are times where you're quiet, there's times where you're loud, there's times where you just play a rhythm, and it's all because we're making the song better. It's not about you, it's about the song. It's like that in the body of Christ. It's not about us, it's about the body. We find our meaning in the body. Outside of the body, we lose meaning. In the greater context of the body, we gain meaning. Here's what it says. We don't have the same function. That's good. It says in verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. It's not more or less grace. It's just different grace. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy is your gift, exercise it according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. He who teaches, in his teaching. He who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we all got a part to play. You play it. You play your role and you do it with all your heart. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. You don't just act like you love people. You genuinely love them. Abhor, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now he's still telling us how to worship. He has not disconnected from the thought, this is how you worship God with your life. We're still talking about worship here. Love people without hypocrisy. Get rid of the evil and cling to the good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That sounds like more commitment than I want to give. To be devoted to one another? I'd rather only be devoted to my wife and my son. 
But the scripture says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, there's a different level for your spouse, obviously. There's a different level for your children, but you're still, there's a, there's a, we're still on the family level here. Brotherly love. Then it says this. Give preference to one another in honor. And my Bible has a note in the column that that could also be translated, outdo one another in showing honor. I like that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I've seen this happen in real life, and it's the coolest thing. Not, I'm not talking about when you're awkwardly standing in front of the restaurant, after you, no, 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 after you, no, 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 after you, and you're freezing. I'm talking about real honor. You know, when we read, when Jesus said the Gentiles are pushing for position, they're trying to climb to the top, they're trying to rule over each other, but it is not so with you. And he said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must learn to serve all. When he said that, that changes everything. The greatest in the kingdom of God are the ones that can serve everybody. Now, I genuinely expect if we really took that to heart, we'd be competing to see who could serve one another. I'm not, comp- not trying to be better than people, but we'd be looking for opportunities. How can I serve people today? How can I serve the kingdom? How can I serve the body of Christ? How can I serve Jesus by serving one another? How can I serve Tony today? What can I do? How can I serve Mary today? How can I serve someone else? Because I, wanna, I, want, I want to achieve, I want the kingdom to be big in me, and I want to be big in the kingdom by his standard. Look what it says. Be, give preference to one another in honor. Try to outdo one another in honor. You know, honor is one of those things where if it's demanded, it just doesn't work. I've found that if pastors get up and say, you guys aren't honoring me. I'm not being honored here. You know what he sounds like? It's, it's, I mean, you, you don't want to follow somebody like that. Sounds like a little Napoleon, you know, like, no. And yet, and yet there is honor. But, you know, as, as somebody that receives honor, you've got to be giving even more honor. If you want to teach honor, one of the best ways is to lead with honor, is to give honor to others. If you give honor to others, people catch it and they, they, honor, they honor who they need to honor. Honor is one of those things that can never be demanded but must always be given. Here it says in verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. This is the same thing as not thinking too high of yourself. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Oh, that's a big one. As long as it depends on you, you be at peace with everybody. Which means there's going to be some people that just don't receive that. They don't want anything to do with you, but you do everything in your power to be at peace with them. Never. Never is never, right? Never take your own revenge. Beloved, 
but leave room for the wrath of God, in other words, the judgment of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and don't be like Jonah who gets ticked off when God shows them great mercy. Rejoice when they're shown mercy. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals in his head. I used to read that and think, ah, so that sounds meaner. But in reality, talking to a group of people that understand in a culture where you would repent, you would put ashes on your head. You would wear sackcloth and put ashes on your head. And in doing so, heaping burning coals, you're giving them an opportunity to repent. Not causing them pain to the scalp, but bringing them to a place of repentance through your mercy. Do not be overcome by evil. You overcome evil with good. The only way to win over evil is with good. Now, I'd like to read you some of these verses in the message if I could. Brother Brent, I want you to bring that up starting with verse 9 because this is just, this is an amazing set of Scripture. And, and I like the way Brother Eugene Peterson wrote this out. And I want you to let these words stick with you. I'd like for you to go home and print them out or something. I'd like for you to, to read these a few times. Let it sink into you. Let it change how you worship God. Do not confine worship to a section of the service that you have on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Do not confine worship to only a certain thing that you do. This is how I worship Worship God with every breath you have. Worship God with every task you undertake. Worship God in every relationship God's put in your life. He says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Some of you hear that? Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Do you know God is not the one that decides whether you burn out or not? God is not destined any of you to burn out. You burn out when you stop fueling up. Fueling up on the Word, fueling up in the Spirit, fueling up on fellowship. You let that slip, you will burn out. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Isn't that interesting? Be inventive in hospitality. I like that. We, we get in our ruts, don't we? Let God invent and create through you. Get excited about it. You know, it is boring when you do the same thing the same way all the time. Let God show you. When you get excited about something, you think about it differently. I mean, you know, it's wonderful when we get new people coming to the church to see the church differently. I mean, I'm talking about the building. And I, well, we've said to each other, let's look at this with fresh eyes. Because there's stuff you just forget. There's stuff you just get used to. And it's wonderful to have a fresh set of eyes that's excited. And it says, we could do this and we could do this. You don't take every idea, but it's exciting. Yes. Be inventive in hospitality. Get so excited about hospitality that you're inventive about it. How can I help somebody else? Verse 14, bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. 
Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. If he's thirsty, go get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. This is practical worship. And this is what the kingdom of God looks like in a family. You must be renewed in your mind. You must be renewed in your mind. We must be renewed in our minds. If you're not willing to let God radically overhaul how you see everything in the world, then you are not really letting him be Lord of your life. That's just simple as it is. If I'm not willing to let him radically change how I see everything and everyone, he's not the Lord of my life. If I want him to be the Lord of my life, he has to, I have to let him change my way of thinking about everything. And there will be Jenga moments where you say, if I start thinking differently about that, it'll affect this and it'll affect this. Yes, praise God it will. Maybe it's like Jeremiah that God says, I've given you the words to tear down and to build up, to pluck up and to plant. This is the thing. Some things need to fall down in order for something new to grow. Some things need to get plucked up. Some things need to be torn down so something can be built. Some things need to be plucked up so something can be planted. There are old patterns and habits and thoughts and paradigms that need to go away so something has room to grow. And so you have those Jenga moments. Sounds like something my mother-in-law would say. Hey, Tia, <laughs> Jenga moments. She, she, has a, she has a whole dictionary of spiritual phrases that she has created. They're very cool, but you have to learn the lingo. But you have these Jenga moments where you go, if I change the way I think about this, it's going to affect a lot of my life. Let it. Trust the Holy Spirit. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to trust God here. It's terrifying at times. It's so terrifying. I want control. I want my schedule. I, I just began to understand what it looks like. Let him change it. Don't let him change it by what new thing someone tells you every week. Let him change it by the word of God, by the voice of God. Worship God with every breath you've got. So when I'm going to get gas, how do I worship God? Do I pump with joy? Probably, yeah, sure. But I'd imagine it affects how you walk in when you go to pay. How do I worship God when I go to work? You work differently. What nobody sees, you do better. How you treat people, you treat them as God would treat them. You take this as an opportunity for the gospel to be lived out in front of them. Everything can be worshipped. Everything must be worship. Renew your mind. Allow yourself to be transformed. Notice that you have to be the one that lets that happen, but you're not the one doing the transforming. God is the only transformer. He's the only one that can really change you. 
For those of you that have struggled with your mind, for those of you that have struggled with thoughts that keep coming back, there is hope. Don't give up or become weary. There is hope. Renewal means to make new again. It could be new again. Life can feel new again. Or, I mean, it, it's not a coincidence that people get saved and are excited and 10 years down the road they get bored. It's because you stopped growing. You stopped changing. It's always meant to be new. God's always wanting to stretch us. If I'm not being stretched, I'm not growing. If I'm not growing, I'm actually dying. <laughs> Human beings go through two major, real stages in life, growth and progressive death. There's a point in your life where you realize I'm not becoming more fit, I'm becoming less fit. My body's not working better, it's working worse. And you realize we might call it over the hill. You realize I'm not progressing to a, my peak. I'm starting to progress to the grave. Well, your body came from dust. It'll go back to dust. But your spirit is eternal. It's not meant to have a peak and a downhill. It's meant to always go upward. So if you're 99 years old, we're just struggling to to do what was so easy before. If you're 99 years old, God still wants to put new things. And because the Bible says when the Spirit is poured out on all mankind, your old men will still be dreaming dreams. Your old men will be dreaming dreams. You, I mean, you'll be dreaming dreams. Dreams are for the young. No, they're not. They're for all who be filled with the Spirit of God because there's no such thing as an old spirit. There's no such thing as an old spirit. Oh, I'm tired of, of, of us reinventing the wheel consistently because we throw out the old and say it's the young's turn. Let's just let God do what he does, but let's all be renewed continually, be changed, be transformed. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me. Praise God. Bless the Lord. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good. He's never changing, and yet we're ever-changing. We're being recreated into His likeness. We're being recreated into His image. Every day I'm changing. It's the times and the seasons where we refuse change and resist Him and resist His work in our life that we become hardened and we become sickly. When we become hardened and sickly, we progress towards death. But when we let him change, we're letting the life of God work in us. Never grow stale. Lord, would you renew our minds continually? We've at times grown weary in well-doing. We've at times grown stale in our work. And there are times where we get comfortable with saying, I finally figured it out. We go, I finally figured it out. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't have the energy to go anymore. But I know that you said, those that wait on the Lord 
will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. In fact, the scripture says in the Hebrew, renew is probably not the best way to translate it. It could better be translated, those that wait on the Lord will exchange their strength. There's an exchange of strength. There's a renewal. There's something that's different than the way it was before and somehow better and somehow newer. And I know we got a good mix here. We've got new believers in the room. We've got mature believers in the room. We might even have some that are still on the edge of decision. The only direction that I care about, it's not, it's not about where on the road you are, it's about where you're heading. Now, if I'm 15 kilometers behind somebody else, that's okay as long as we're going in the same direction because I can follow their example. I can draft on, on there. I might catch up to them at some point, but we're heading in the same direction. Standing still is impossible spiritually. You can't stand still. You can either go up or, or roll backwards. It's like, you know, rolling a wagon up a, up a hill. You can't just leave it. If you leave it, it'll go backwards. And I want you to be renewed. I want you to be fresh. I want you to be excited. And I want you to understand that everything could be worship and everything should be worship. And I want you to understand that the kingdom of God is meant to expand in you and take over more and more. Be like a, an invading army that takes over territory every day. Except it's a good army. It's a liberating army that liberates you from the power of, of, of the world and, and from the influence of darkness. It liberates you and sets you free. That's what God wants for you if you let him do it. Now, if there's anybody here this morning that's never received Jesus, you've never given your life away, I understand that some of what we talked about might seem radical, and it is. There's nothing not radical about following Jesus, but it's the only way to, to really live. It's the only way to life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes to a Father except through me. So if there's anybody here this morning that wants to give your life away and you've never have, but you do, this morning you want to do that, would you just lift your hand? I don't know everybody here, so we want to give you the opportunity. Thank God. All right. Well, as believers then, let's make up our minds to be renewed. And I'm going to think different. I'm going to worship different. I'm going to act different, not based on an external change of behavior, but on a transformation from the inside. You know, if you just try to act differently, then you're not accomplishing what the Scripture said, let love be without hypocrisy. See, if you're just trying to act like you love people, that's still hypocrisy. But if you can truly say, God, put that love in me, I am going to love them. I choose to love them. You don't wait for the feeling to come. You know, that's not hypocrisy, to, 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 to move on it before you feel it. You know what I mean? 
Sometimes we wait and go, this, you know, I, I don't want to be fake, so God's going to put a love in me. I'm going to wait for me to, myself to feel love. You know, sometimes you begin to feel the love after you start walking in the love. Walking in love is not fake. Walking in love is, is, is all faith. And that's what's necessary. And I believe that the body is meant to grow. But the Bible says it, the body grows by building itself up in love. That's how it grows. That's what causes growth, is by building itself up in love. And right before that, it said that the way it does that is by the proper working of every individual part. Nobody's an extra part. Nobody's just thrown in an extra piece that doesn't matter. We're vital. You're important. You're indispensable. Know that, all right? If today the Lord was speaking to you and um, you don't know where to start, the Lord was saying, I want to change some things in you. I want to change the way you think. I want your life to be radically different. And you felt that and you know that, but you're not quite sure where that starts. I'd like to pray with you this morning that God will do something in you and begin a work in you that like dominoes begins to affect one thing after another. And it will mess with you, but it'll be a good messing. <laughs> it, will, it will be a cleaning. It will be an organizing if you think about it. But really, there's going to be a moment where you feel like things are being plucked up. There's, you feel like things are going to be torn down. But in reality, God's making room to build some new things. So if that if you felt that in your spirit, if something was awakening, you go, what does it feel like when I feel something in my spirit? You'll know it. You'll know when the Holy Spirit starts poking you. You'll know when you're being nudged. You know that feeling. I usually wiggle my leg when that happens. I start, you know, I, I can't sit still when that starts to happen. And if God was doing that in you, why don't you come up and we're going to pray together. We're just going to believe that God begins something in you. He wakes something up in you, that he begins to plant some new things in you, that God is going to begin a work in you that you can't contain and you can't control and you don't want to control. You believe that God begins to awaken new things in you, that God is sparking something in you. If you want it, he will give it. If you ask, you shall receive. The scripture says, knock and the door will be opened to you. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask and receive. You see, in the scriptures, there's always an offer and then a response from us to the offer and then a response from God to our response. God has made his move. He picked you. He chose you before the beginning of time. Now it's our turn to respond and say, I want it. I want all that you have. I want all that you have. Thank you, Jesus. I want all of you that came forward. Let's just lift, lift a hand, too, if you want. We're going to receive from God right now. Father, you see these wonderful, brave souls that have said, I, I, I don't know what it looks like, but I want you. I don't want you to take over. I want a revolution on the inside of me. I want things to be new. I want things to be different. I don't know where to start. I don't know what that looks like, but I want it. I just want you. Then, Lord, you see the request 
you're always faithful to meet us where we are. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that as they ask, so they will receive. Lord, as they're, as they're here right now, that something begins to spark. And I speak to your spirit. I speak to your soul and say, awake. Wake up and rise from the dead that Christ may shine on you. We pray for a revolution to take place in us. A revolution on the inside. A new beginning. A new awakening. You're waking us up. You're waking us up. You're waking us up. We're waking up. Our slumber, uh, uh, the sleep is falling from our eyes. Something is stirring on, in us. Something begins to rumble. The dry bones begin to get muscle and sinew and flesh, and they begin to rumble and shake and rise. And breath is breathed into you. Life is breathed into you in the name of Jesus. God told Ezekiel, you see these bones. And Ezekiel says, God, can these bones live? God says, prophesy to them. Tell them to live. There are times where we feel dead, we feel asleep, we feel dormant, and God says, prophesy to the bones, tell them to live, and they'll live. And God brings the muscle, and he brings the cells, and he brings the skin, and he causes you to rise, and he breathes his breath into you. So I say to you right now, breathe the breath of God. Live. Rise up. Awake from your slumber. And I believe that in the name of Jesus, in the next few days, if you will commit, if you will commit to yourself and to God to pursue him. Now, this is the thing. You got to pursue him. This is not a passive thing. When you're hungry, you go to the table. He says, seek me and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. I want you to go on a quest. I want you to go on a mission to, 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 to just fall in love with Jesus. I want you to find him. And he's not running from you. He's not hiding from you. When you seek him, he wants to be found. Now go. And in the next few days, I want you to search for him in his word. I want you to search for him in your prayer. You just talk to him. He's there. Just begin to speak to him. Let him speak to you. I want you to look for him in the conversations you have. I want, to, I want you to look for him, not just in your home, but outside. I'm not talking about being flaky, looking for him in the leaves or something. But I mean really look for him. He's everywhere. You're going to find him. Things are going to wake up in you. Things are going to change. Things are going to come alive in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. What you've begun, you'll finish. What you've started, you'll finish. You always finish what you start. 
I just keep hearing that, that he is faithful to finish what he started. You may not realize it, but just the very fact that he spoke to you while you were in your chair was the beginning of something. He was starting something at that moment. He's able to complete what he starts. He's able to finish it. He's able to continue it. He's able to finish it. You're not a lost cause. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're faithful. You're faithful. Let's take a moment. We don't need to always be saying something. There's moments of quiet and stillness in the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Always good. Always faithful. Jesus is good. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we, we trust you with our, our hearts today. Trust you with our lives. Trust you with our families. We bless you with all of our heart and all of our soul. All of our mind and all of our strength, we love you. Be glorified in us. Be exalted in us. Show your power in us this week. Use us however you want to use us. But send us out. It's your hands, your feet, your light into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I love you guys. Have a great week. I want to remind you that tomorrow night we got prayer at 7. Men's meeting at 7.30.